Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Merge Medical Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Brown. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Jeff Cole and Dr. Gitu Goyle. Gitu is the CEO of First Primary Care. And I met Gitu through a mutual friend, another mutual physician. And I'm just absolutely just so glad he is here. Um, everything he's doing aligns with the mission of Merge Medical. Uh, it's all about patient care, empowering physicians to take their lives back improve the uh, the lives of patients and enrich us financially. Gito, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us sort of your version of, of the elevator pitch of uh, first primary care? Thank you both for uh, having me again. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed our first meeting at our mutual friend's house. And uh, so, you know, subsequent conversations and, and now to today, um, super excited and grateful to be here. Um, so I am uh, an internal medicine and pulmonary critical care physician uh, by training. Um, I finished my fellowship from uh, Yale University in 2013, um, you know, where I spent obviously three years doing pump critical care. And a lot of, uh, you know, what I do today, I feel like started during those uh, fellowship days. Um, and, and the start of all this was my frustration um, with end-of-life care in the ICUs. I felt like we spent so much time um, dealing with end-of-life issues inside the ICUs, whereas they should have been discussed and handled outside the ICUs in primary care offices with those patients and families because everybody saw what was coming. And yet, I felt like our system because it was such a, you know, patient comes and, and, and goes and on to the next one, especially at the primary care level, there was no real time to talk about end of life. So in the ICU world, I was getting burnt out, basically feeling like I'm not really doing meaningful work. I'm just trying to unwind a lot of the, 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 the conversations that should have happened way before that this is now our health system should be. You know, we shouldn't be spending billions and billions of care in the last two months of people's lives, right? We should right. be really investing way before. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of it. Um, finished fellowship, didn't really see myself working in the traditional system for, for the next, you know, 30, 40 years of my life um, because it felt such a, you know, um, I guess rat race for me because it was, you know, more patients you see, more money you make kind of, you know, idea basically. And I wanted, really wanted to do my own business, really wanted to, you know, uh, own my own, own practice. And I wanted to do something big, right? I didn't want to just open a solo practice. So the idea was, you know, if I were to fix healthcare, how do I fix healthcare? Mm-hmm. So read a lot of books, but a lot of the answers came down to, we got to start by fixing primary care. That if the primary care continues to be, you know, you're seeing 25 patients in a day, we can never solve primary care. And if we don't solve primary care, you can't really build a healthcare system that has a strong foundation. Mm -hmm. So in spite of finishing fellowship, um, I started a direct primary care clinic. Mm -hmm. 
direct primary care at that point made a whole lot more sense to me. And, and the simple analogy again is, you know, we are doing primary care in a blockbuster fashion. You, you know, you want to go see a doctor, you go in, you go see the doctor, pay the money, come back. And, you know, then you got to go back again. So it was a very transactional approach to primary care, whereas the Netflix model, the subscription model made a whole lot more sense because it eliminated insurance out of between the primary care doctor and the patient. Mm -hmm. It allowed primary care physicians to streamline revenue collections, eliminating a whole swath of administrative burden from billing, collections, you know, all that that comes with it, you know, fighting insurance approvals. And it allowed that model, the membership model, to leverage technology to connect with our patients via text, telephones, video calls, without having to worry about copays and collections. Mm -hmm. It allowed us to have lots smaller, smaller panels for our physicians and we basically were able to put time back into a doctor-patient relationship, right? Um, and that was very well appreciated by the patients sure. as well as the physicians. Physicians started, you know, enjoying medicine again. Nobody was telling them, you got 20 minutes with this patient and you got to move on. They could take their time. They could take 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, sometimes 90 minutes. We could text each other um, on an ongoing basis. If I want to check in on somebody, I can text them. I can video call them. So it became a continuous care model rather than an episodic care model. Mm -hmm. And that made a whole lot more sense. And then we started building transparency on top. What do I mean by that? You know, you get lab work through us. You pay what the cost of the lab is, not the inflated price. And we talk about pricing before we do the test, which doesn't happen in the traditional system because everything is hidden under the insurance copay. Right. We start talking about imaging pricing. We start talking about, you know, surgery pricing. And, you know, we started in 2016, you know, from the garage, uh, like you guys, um, right. you know, me, a nurse practitioner friend of mine who I had met in the hospital doing some ICU shifts. He was a family nurse practitioner. He had just finished. I pitched this idea to him. So we started, you know, knocking door to door. And it was tough one year, you know, trying to convince people, hey, this is the better way. But we then found self-funded uh, employers. Employers were paying a lot of money for health insurance premiums for their employees. They wanted to control costs. They wanted to improve access to care. And what they wanted to do and what we were doing was a really good mesh. Yeah. So we found partners that started incorporating us into health plans. And in the last two years, we've been pretty much doing our own self-funded health plans for, for companies, controlling sort of the entire ecosystem on health, in, in the healthcare but it is all built around the direct primary care model. 65% of the healthcare now happens without any insurance at the DPC level. About 25 to 30% of the care then happens in a guided fashion by the primary care doctors to specialists on a cash-based system 
And the last, about 10 to 15%, we actually use the insurance network to do this. So it, it makes healthcare a lot more transparent, a lot more streamlined. The incentives of our physicians are on the side of the patients, and you restore the role of insurance to cover really catastrophic issues mm -hmm. and not the day-to-day -day issues, basically. So that's really what we are doing, you know, long story. But, no, uh, yeah, that's great. Like, yeah. This is amazing. And there's, there's, there's so much to unpack and I hope, hope we do. Um, but just thinking about you guys starting in 2016 and thinking about the, the exploding premium uh, rise that we've seen over that course of time, where I think, you know, probably made sense, did make sense in 2016, but, man, it really makes sense right now Right. in that premiums have far outstripped any growth in wages. And, uh, and I think, you know, employers are looking for this, patients are looking for this. It just seems like such a better model. I have patients ask me all the time, you know, how much does that brace cost or how much, and we don't know, <laughs> you know, we just, we, it's, it's not that we're trying to, uh, play hide and seek we just we really don't don't know and that's that's just a problem with the industry itself the way it's the way it works i'd much rather be able to, to say yeah this is this is how much it costs and um, you know be able to at least say yeah maybe you should go to walgreens and pick that up but yeah just, we don't know if insurance is going to cover it's not going to cover and so yeah let's yeah I'm, I'm looking at the first article you pull up you know insurance health insurance company profit first half of 23 seven big health insurers pulled in 683 billion in revenues and here we are as physicians i doubt there's a physician here that we know that's making more money at least from an inflation inflation adjusted perspective than they than they were seven or eight years ago yes and reimbursements have gone down overall right from insurers so so it's not like more of that premium that keeps rising is going to the physicians. It's no. And this, this is, so this is what I really want to, I want to make sure we understand the costs. So we're paying more as consumers as well. I'm a physician, but I'm also a patient and my co-pays go up and my premiums go up, but my access to care goes down. And when I go to the pharmacy to get my prescription, if I have insurance, it costs me more yes. than if I just use good RX. Yes. So it, in a very simple way, direct primary care eliminates the administrative costs that the insurers charge to administer, the, in quotes, administrate the plan. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. And how much do, can you tell our viewers approximately or give us a range? What kind of cost savings do the employers see and the patients see that are paying in their copays and premiums, et cetera? Um, so if I look at an employer group, about 100 lives, mm -hmm. in general, we are able to save them anywhere between $2,000 to $3,000 per employee per year, mm -hmm. right? So in a 100 life company, you are looking at about two hundred to $300,000 of savings in the, in the health. Plan. So it's fair to say a 100 person group is going to save a quarter of a million dollars a year. Correct. Correct. And, do, and that is cost across the company or is that per the employer? So it translates into both employers both. and the employees. I see. Um, because the plans we are designing, see, I think that the, the other problem with the traditional insurance model is that 
most of the employers will cost share with the employees. Yeah, right? employer for sure. Employer will say, "Hey, I pay eighty percent. You, Mister Employee, pay twenty percent." Right. But not just twenty percent. The employee also has copays, deductibles, co-insurances until right. they're out of pocket max right. to meet before insurance really covers anything. Right. Right. So a lot of the burden actually falls on the employees, and that is, in in my opinion, a big fundamental problem because day to day care becomes so inconvenient, and there is an obstacle of a copay and a deductible in front of you to get that day to day care. I and see. when that's delayed, people are, you know, getting sicker. People are going to higher cost facilities. People are going to emergency rooms unnecessarily. There is no continuity of care. So the whole system becomes way more costly for everybody because you have now put barriers in front of people to just get day-to-day care. So oh. coming back to direct primary care, you eliminate all that by making that primary care model available to employees at no cost. That's right. And you're incentivized to, to make them healthy because you actually have more time the less you see them, but they can see you as much as they want, right? That's correct. So so there, we're, we're supposed to be calling this sick care now, but your model can be actually be called health care, in my opinion. That right? is exactly right. My incentive now is to keep my patients, my members healthy. Mm-hmm. I am their consultant. I am their advocate. I'm their primary care doctor. And I will partner with you on your healthcare journey. And our goal is to keep you out of trouble. More I keep you out of trouble, less of my time and resources you're going to need. And so my incentive is not to make more money or profit off of sickness. Mm -hmm. Sickness doesn't pay in our model because our costs are fixed. Mm -hmm. Just because you use me, you know, 10 times in a particular month because we were trying to solve a particular problem for you doesn't mean you will pay more than the other guy who didn't text me at all that one month. That's right. Right. So our incentives are now aligned and we can truly develop a healthcare model and then design insurance in a way where we cover sick care. But there has to be transparency in the middle. You can't. See, simple definition of value is quality over cost. If the cost goes up, value goes down, right? If, let's say, quality is the same, cost keeps going up, and so we keep getting less and less value, basically, Mm -hmm. right? And until we start having conversation around cost, we don't even know what value we are getting, basically. So I think cost transparency is very important in, in the kind of the healthcare sick care system and how we finance the whole thing. D2, in your, in your base layer, you say that, that the care is free, but there's a membership model Am I right there. I mean, there is, there's some out of pocket, but it's, it's, it's done through a membership model. And, and I think very much proven through uh, beyond theory, that's costing these employees and these patients less than they would be paying through a traditional plan and deductibles and and all that. So that's correct. Our membership gets baked into the premium. So when you pay the premium, you already have a lot of free care baked into the program, right? So now you are not paying more copays and deductibles to access care. Whereas in the traditional system, you pay the premium 
and then you still pay your copays. Maybe your once a year annual physical is free. But other than that, you know, for every little thing, you, you are, you know, paying basically. Whereas in our model, a whole lot of that happens at zero dollars. Lab work, genetic medications, um, doctor visits, anything we can do in the office, EKGs, breathing treatments, skin tag removals, minor procedures that primary care offices can do, well woman exams, you know, all that stuff happens at no cost to the plan and no cost to the member. If we guide your care to an MRI place where you can go get a $400 MRI, then still the employee gets it at $0 and the plan incurs a claim of $400. Okay. So a lot of care still employees can get at $0 as long as it is guided by their direct primary care um, that is within the plan. Can you imagine getting an MRI for 400 bucks? <laughs> I mean, I know people who meet their deductible. Every Just by getting an MRI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yep, I do. Yeah. And so kind of tell me a little bit about that, because you when you and I talked a lot offline and I want our audience to hear you're not just primary care, but you're also partnering with radiology groups, uh, ASCs, anesthesiology groups, et cetera. I think, you know, a lot of our specialists are in a similar boat, right? Like I think uh, a lot of um, our specialists are also sick of fighting the insurance companies, fighting prior authorizations, and even having to collect deductibles from the patients, verify benefits, you know, how much I need to collect, how much I need to bill the insurance company. It's a lot of overhead that comes with that process, right? Delayed payments. So our proposition to our specialist is, you know, give us your cash price up front what is a good cash price for you we want you to be profitable we don't want you to be you know losing money we want you to be a viable business model but we want to simplify a lot of the headaches for you give quality service at a fair price to our members and we will make the payment the same day right let's eliminate a lot of the administrative hassle for you you don't have to collect from the employee the plan is covering 100 percent again all we ask is good quality care at a fair price, right? So I think it's a win-win for everybody. The patient again gets guided care, deductibles waived. Health plan now is paying a fair cost, not the $4,000 MRI cost, they are paying $400 cost. And our radiology partners are happy because again, we have simplified their operations significantly in the whole process. Now, there's one thing I'm not understanding, and. I I, I want to make this clarification because if I'm not understanding it. I don't think the viewers will be either. If I'm an employer, some free to lay or whoever FedEx in Memphis, and I work with first primary care, my employees at times will still require hospitalization in an emergency fashion, something beyond what first primary care can provide. So, they're still using some type of health insurance, such as Blue Cross Blue Shield. Are they then able to just negotiate those plans to be what we would call hospitalization or catastrophic plans for much, obviously much lower costs? So, you know, a couple of things here. Number one, you know, 
you are managing in in a hundred life company, let's say four or five people will end up in a given year in a hospital situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our plans, the, the last 10 to 15% that I had talked about, you know, is specifically made for these kind of situations, right? We embed a PPO network in our plans. You can rent a PPO network and you can embed the PPO network in the plan. So what do I mean by that? Um, for example, in Memphis um, or in Tennessee, we are using a first health network. And a lot of uh, physicians that we have already looked up, um, gastroenterologists, cardiologists, um, they are part of the first health network. So our plan is administered by an independent party. We call it a TPA, third party administrator. But we use that network to access any hospital or specialist in that network the claim then hits our plan and it is processed according to the network contract, right? So if, if you are part of our plan, you end up uh, you know, with a broken tibia fibula, you need emergency hospital uh, surgery. If that hospital is in network with First Health, they will send the claims to our health plan. Our health plan will process that claim according to the First Health Network contract between, you know, the hospital and First Health, basically. And generally, these contracts are done on a, you know, multiple of Medicare. Like, you know, we pay 150% of Medicare, 130% of Medicare. So that claim is processed and, and is taken care of, right? Same thing Blue Cross will do, right? If, if you have a Blue Cross policy, Blue Cross... You're going to go to an in-network hospital. Hospital is going to send the claim. Blue Cross is going to pay the claim according to the Blue Cross contract with the hospital. But in Blue Cross's case, Blue Cross is the network and Blue Cross is the administrator. Mm -hmm. We have separated those two things out. That we can rent a network, but the administrator is our partner. So they are the ones administering or receiving claims, processing claims, and making the payments. And our TPA partners can actually negotiate on the behalf of the patient and the plan with the facilities um, and, and you know, potentially save costs there as well. And then a couple follow-up points to that. So if I'm an employer mm-hmm. and I'm using First Primary Care in Tennessee and my employee travels to Idaho, you don't have a partner in Idaho. What happens in that situation? And then the second question would be, I'm assuming these employers are self-insured, but you have a stopgap insurance behind first primary care, correct? So, yes. So, absolutely. So, um, first of all, no matter where you travel, you have access to us remotely. You can text us and we still provide care for you. We can still send you prescriptions, manage your care. But you can go to any facility if you need to go to, and we will process those claims again by a percentage of Medicare. Mm -hmm. Our TPA will pick up the phone, talk to the facility. Hey, we got your claims. Can we pay you at 130% of Medicare to get the, you know, everything resolved and move on. So it doesn't matter where you are in the country, right? In fact, it doesn't even matter if we have a network or not, because everything is in network. And, and we can process those claims at a certain percentage of Medicare. 
So we actually don't play this whole in-network, out-of-network game at all in, in our health plans, right? Um, the second question is, employers' risk in any self-funded plan is capped. Mm -hmm. And they know what their risk is before they sign on the dotted line, you know, when they, you know, um, start the plan, which is typically a one-year commitment at the minimum. Right? Mm -hmm. um, beyond their risk, all health plans have to be insured by a reinsurer. Mm -hmm. Reinsurer, or we call it stop loss um, insurance. And the first step we have to go do when we design any health plan for an employer is actually go to our stop loss partner and get a stop loss quote from them. These plans are underwritten. So we have, uh, you know, underwriters that look at your group, look at estimated health care costs. And they will tell you this much claim funding the employer should do. An employer can actually dictate, you know, I want to take, you know, how much risk I want to take. Mm -hmm. If they want to take more risk, your stop loss premium is lower. If they right. want to take lower risk and transfer more to the stop loss, then your premium is higher, right? Right. But generally, let's say in a hundred employee company, I will have a specific stop loss and an aggregate stop loss specific stop loss means for any employee if my claims go over twenty five thousand dollars mm -hmm. then stop loss is going to pick up all the claims above that right. right and you can also have an aggregate which could be let's say a million dollars in a year mm -hmm. anything over a million then my stop loss policy covers that right so my risk is capped right? But now you have visibility into the million dollar claims fund you as an employer is putting in and paying $400 MRIs out of the claims fund versus $4,000 MRIs out of the claims fund makes a huge difference to that claims fund. Okay, of course, right. And then you've already gotten paid for basically 65% of the healthcare because direct primary care is already baked into it in a fixed cost. More people use care here, less they go to emergency rooms, hospitals, all that then goes into managing the claim fund. Mm -hmm. And if there is surplus left over at the end of the year, the employer gets to keep that surplus. Now you got to fund le less next year right. to design the whole plan, right? So it gives employers a lot more control over their healthcare dollars, basically. Otherwise, they're just writing checks more and more every year. Who are the major players in the stop loss business? It made, is it those same insurance players or, or the, is this a different crowd of um, insurers? No, this is so um, major insurers are actually their own stop loss companies, right? Because they are behemoth insurance companies. They right. don't need uh, anybody else. Berkshire Hathaway types. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you guys seen it in the, in the property and casualty side, you know, mm -hmm. other side, there are a lot of insurance uh, companies, right, that, that run their own captives. And, yeah. um, so similarly, on the healthcare side also, th there is uh, a ton of them out there. Um, I mean, I can, um, we were just uh, talking to uh, Tokyo Marine, um, and then there was this underwriter um, there with uh, Manhattan Life. 
um, American General. So a lot of big uh, stop loss companies out there yeah. who want to do this. You know, when you're walking me through this, and Jeff, you'll you'll agree, is it not staggering the cost that these companies add to healthcare that gets in the way of you taking care of somebody? It, it's just mind boggling because he and I talked a lot offline, but there's so much money in this that the companies are taking for, for actually very little. And in his model, the physicians are making more, seeing less patients. The patients are paying less, staying healthier, and the employers are paying less. I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer, right? And I know you, you've got competitors, I know, because I've heard of direct primary care before, but it sounds like you've, at least you're articulating that you've got a lot more than just a concierge model to primary care, right? Yeah, I think, you know, generally people understand that if you are operating primary care in a concierge model, you can do a lot better job, right? So a lot of people are, are taking that, that route. But you have to, I feel like, fix the insurance problem on top also. Right. And you can't just say, hey, I do primary care well. I don't know, you know what to do about the rest. Right. Still go pay Blue Cross and, and figure out a way how to cover that big, bad, ugly stuff. Right. I don't think you can do that. I think if you do primary care well, then you are the one who understands the true risk of your members, right? Like true health of your members. And you are actually in the best position to design insurance around that to cover their risk. So why not get involved in that? Why not, you know, redesign insurance and align it, you know, similarly, you know, use it to cover sick care, keep mm -hmm. healthcare out of it, basically, right? And I think we have a beautiful opportunity to do that. And, and we need to do it. As, as, a, as physicians, we need to do it. You know, like we were talking that, tell me one insurance company that actually, healthcare insurance company that physicians own. I don't know one. None. We don't, right? Yeah, there are malpractice physician mutual companies. They right. do a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, they do a great job. And they actually, you know, if if a mis if a mistake was not made, uh, they are not going to settle. I mean, they're going to go go to bat for for their members and their 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 claimant. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt that I think this is a a flag that physicians would want to fly. Um, I love your your vision of of what you look like, you know, a few years into the future. And I guess with that, there's a question. Do you, are there other, are you aware of anybody else that, that, that has this, this vertical type vision? You know, I don't know in the DPC space. So I, I think the understanding of what we are doing is absolutely there, right? Like a lot of, uh, you know, smarter than I am uh, physicians there who understand this, this whole process of deconstructing the health plans and, and designing it this way, right? Um, but I don't know how many are successfully doing it in, in, the, in the sense that how many have actually found solid stop-loss partners, TPA partners, pharmacy benefit manager partners to put the whole stack together, tie it in a, in a bow, and, and find a distribution channel to get it out there into the public, right? Um, I think people are doing it in components. 
more so than than having a full stack that they they can fully confidently say hey you know this is how it works and our health plan is better than yours so when it comes to just your margins of business your your cost of goods your cogs i mean can you get where you want to go just with organic growth or is this something where um you'd love to have physician investors and really grow this to a national scale with, with that type of, of wallet and movement? Um, I think the financial model behind the business is pretty solid. If you look at, you know, um, just the direct primary care model itself, right? Just, if you just look at primary care as a standalone business by itself, even if, you know, on average you are able to collect about 80, Two hundred dollars per member per month. The the math works out beautifully with with physicians taking care of about six hundred patients per panel, right? Um, and um, organic growth, I see it happening. I, I see uh, you know massive organic growth happening actually at the grassroots level where physicians are jumping out of their traditional practices and saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I want to open my own practice and I want to do it in a membership based system so I can do justice to my talents, my skills and justice to my patients. Right. <clears throat> there is really a DPC movement that is that is fueling that growth. However, you know, if you look at the big scheme of things, it's a tiny drop in the bucket. Um, so I think we can scale this a whole lot faster if there is a collaborative push, both, um, you know, the, the intent has to be there that, hey, yes, we're going to fix this healthcare uh, mess, mm -hmm. um, but you, you're going to need uh, capital to grow it fast also. You know, you're going to need to have to recruit doctors and then obviously fill their panels. And that does take uh, capital if you want to do it at a faster pace. Um, but I also think there are a lot of other products that, that should come out of this, right? Products in the sense that if you are starting your own physician health insurance company, that should be a viable business model on its own. And primary care is just a component of that insurance plan. Um, so I think we do need physicians to come together put some money in to start our own insurance company as well. How does Stark and, and anti-kickback and all of these things that, that are placed against us, how, how does that play in? Good question. Have you looked at that? Um, I, so, you know, in general, even uh, when we do our health plans, right? Like when we do our self-funded health plans, primary care is very separate from insurance that way. Right. Um, insurance uh, doesn't know what's happening in the primary care world because it's, again, fixed costs. You are taking care of the, the, the patients. And then what you are doing is you are giving patients basically access to, hey, you can see whoever you want to go see. But if you go here, your cost is zero dollars because we know their price up front. Right. And then the self-insured funds pay that doctor directly. There is no money exchanged anywhere else, basically, right? Like, it's not that they are paying me and then I'm paying, you know, somebody else. 
So the money flow is directly from the plans to the providers, and there is no collusion there at all. Hmm. Now, have I looked at, you know, what in, in certain states, you know, physicians are, for example, not allowed to own hospitals or mm -hmm. own facilities, right? Mm -hmm. Because there the concern is, okay, I see patient here and send them to, to my hospital to, to do the to do the care, right? I am not in favor of that. I think that is a completely bogus uh, rule. Yeah, for know? sure. Um, so, you know, I think we do need to probably clarify at the insurance level also, if I am the insurer, can I be the service provider of my own insurance company, mm -hmm. right? And that, those rules may again vary state to state. Um, so something definitely to look into more um, from insurance standpoint, if physicians start owning their insurance company, you know, can they be providers of the insurance company as well? I believe so. I, I don't see any way of violating it, but I'll have to, you know, do sure. some diligence. I got a question. It, it, it may be too granular. If it is, you know, we, we, we can bypass it. But if you're talking, you're talking about, we're just averages hundred dollars per patient per month, the 600 patient panel, the providers, are they employees of first primary care or are they partners? And is, tell me about the revenue share if there is any or how that works so at least in in our uh, first primary care everybody is an employee um, and generally our goal is that our physician or staff salaries are 45 to 50 percent of our collection from that care unit basically mm -hmm. um, so the way we want to grow this is have a physician leader have a family nurse practitioner and have a medical assistant make one care team. Mm -hmm. And that care team together takes care of about 1200 members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from there we want to, so, so for simplification, let's say they take care of a thousand members. We are collecting $80 per head. That's $80,000 per month collected. Out of that, 40,000, 35 to 40,000 should go to pay our physicians, nurse practitioner, and medical assistant salaries, basically, per month. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe physicians can make, um, you know, twenty to $25,000 per month doing primary care very comfortably in, in, in our model. Yeah, and that's not very many patients to see. The, the best part, I think, for our physicians is controlling their own schedule. They mm -hmm. have, you know, we're not telling them eight to five, right, mm -hmm. or work on charts Saturday. That that all that disappears. They have life outside work also. If they have a sick kid, they can take the kid to a doctor's and still manage their own schedule. Right? Mm -hmm. If I have my panel, I I nobody puts patient on my schedule. Only I can put patients on my schedule because they will text me. I will communicate with them. And then I'll make uh, you know time to meet them in the clinic when we both can meet. Right. Um, so a lot more flexibility in my, in our model for the physicians. And how are you marketing this right now? Um, so we've learned a lot of lessons marketing wise, um, you know, a um, couple of things I want to say here is number one, um, you know, we were, we started 
obviously marketing this only as a direct primary care you know offering right we didn't mm -hmm. know how to bring you know the bigger offering to two people so we were relying on a, a, a company's existing broker to take what we have and embed it into their their health plan mm -hmm. and they generally saw it as you know an added cost because if you're already paying let's say $500 premium and I come to you and say yeah. hey pay $80 more you know now in a 100 employee company you know suddenly the cost has gone up you know um, right. significantly right and they're like how, how are we going to make that happen we can't um so that was challenging and we solved that problem by again making it into DPC health plan and not just DPC mm -hmm. offering by itself I got it um, we had to do a lot of work to get our stop loss insurers and everybody to reduce their premiums because the DPC was there. So the overall cost of the product was competitive, right? We weren't just an add-on basically. Um, so that took a while. And now that we are, you know, talking about DPC health plans, it's a lot simpler conversation to have than saying, hey, this component is here and then this component is here. It truly mm -hmm. really just works as one component, right? Second thing we did was we earlier were of the mindset that the broker community is part of the problem. Um, the broker community, again, because they take 6% of the annual premium as commissions, higher the premiums, better the commissions, mm -hmm. right? So who benefits from rising cost of care? All these health brokers do, mm -hmm. right? But for them also, the game became unsustainable because employers were desperate. The people who were buying care, they're like, look, I cannot continue to pay 10, 12, 15, 20% increases year after year. You've got to find something better. Broker community started feeling the pressure of, hey, we got to do something more innovative to bring uh, to our employers. We can't just buy off the shelf, book up plans, you know, um, and, and, and sustain this. So, you know, while that was happening, while we were getting better, and then also my mindset changed that let's not fight against the brokers. Let's make them our allies. Let's, let's at least get some of the good ones who truly want to do the right thing and not just take a commission check mm -hmm. to be our distribution partners in this, right? And let's give them a complete product instead of asking them, hey, here is my DPC, fit it into your plan we started giving them the whole plan, right? And, and that has worked now really, really well. You know, like I was sharing, we doubled in size last year um, from about 3,200 members. We closed the year at 6,500 members. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because of, you know, simplifying health plans and partnering with brokers to distribute it. The health insurance brokers, they go to an employer and they can sell any product, Cigna, Blue Cross Blue Shield, or first primary care. So now you're giving them a percent of the commission just as you would if they had signed up an employer for Cigna, et cetera, et cetera right? We don't give a percentage of the commission. We build in a fixed cost per employee mm -hmm. per month mm -hmm. for them as, as their role as benefit advisor. So they're still incentivized. Yes. So we we kind of actually removing this broker, you know, nomenclature away and changing it into a benefit advisor because now we rely on these benefit advisor to communicate alongside us on how the plan works, how the plan functions, 
and even after it is sold, continue to educate the employees on how to utilize the healthcare health plan better, right? Mm -hmm. So they they have taken a more of an advisor role, and we moved them from a percentage model to a fixed cost model, just like we are as DPC, right? Mm -hmm. I get a fixed cost per employee per member. You get a fixed cost per employee per member, mm -hmm. right? Now our, both of us, let's work to educate employees on how to use healthcare better and keep the cost low for the employer. Now mm -hmm. you don't win and I don't win if the cost goes up, basically. Mm -hmm. You too. I think this may be on topic. I saw in the pitch deck um, something about a bronze plan and a platinum plan. Does, does that, uh, is that, Part of this discussion i i think so so you know i i think that was again one of the the big um sort of steps that moved us forward in this journey because what was happening was um you know if i go to a, a hundred employee company again and they are already on blue cross blue shield and if I tell them, hey, you're not going to have any PPO network, you're going to be completely in our ecosystem, everybody is scared. They, they don't want to leave their you know, uh, Blue Cross network. They mm -hmm. see this doctor that takes their insurance or they take this medication. You know. So you will have a hard time going into a company and taking them away from, I call it the addiction of the PPO networks, basically. Um, so what we did was instead of taking those PPO networks away, we again started renting a PPO network, embedding it into our plan and telling the employees that you can continue doing care the way you are doing, right? Today you pay copays, you pay deductibles, you look up your PPO network. Every time you need healthcare, you go to your network and you can continue doing that. We're not taking anything away from you. But we're going to give you another pathway within the plan where you can get care and pay nothing. You can get $0 care for primary care, $0 care for labs, generic drugs, imaging, bundle surgeries. All your copays and deductibles will be waived. And if you do end up in a hospital, we are there guiding you. We don't want you to worry about a deductible. We will get your deductible waived. We just want you to engage with your primary care team embedded in the plan when you are utilizing health right? So we almost built these two pathways. We call it the bronze and the platinum. Bronze is the traditional way of getting care where you pay copays, deductibles, coinsurances, and platinum is where you get DPC-guided care at $0. A carrot and a stick approach to influence behavior, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not, yeah. you know... That's great. And I, th I feel like if people go the other route and keep paying deductibles and out experiencing out-of-pocket, it, it shouldn't take long, especially with proper education, to, to change that behavior. So the other, I think, uh, important component to understand here is that, you know, it a, T a solid TPA partner is, is very important to make this happen. Um, so TPA is, again, the person who administers our health plan, right? So again, going back to 100 employee company, let's say 50 people are using care through us. They have engaged with DPC, but rest 50 are still not. And they continue to use 
their PPO network for medications and, and imaging and going to ERs for stuff they, they shouldn't be going, going to. All those claims are going to hit our TPA. Our TPA still has to process those claims according to the network and pay those claims. Now, if I have access to those claims as a DPC doctor, if I see that, hey, you know, you are getting this acne cream from Walgreens and they are charging $150 to our health plan every time you go, but it is actually in our you know, free DPC formulary, I can then do an outreach with an employee and say, hey, would you like your copay waived for that and have me shipped, right? So transparency into the claims empowers direct primary care to do outreach to the employees who probably haven't yet been educated properly on, on what the health plan can do for them. And if I don't have visibility into that, then I don't have full control over how my health plan is run. Right? Yeah, and to go into more detail about that, because I don't think people understand why you go to the pharmacy and if you have insurance, your medicine costs more than if you don't. Yeah. And what you're doing within first primary care to pass those cost savings to the members. So we started our own um, um, prescription program uh, and we do two things in that prescription program. And, and our prescription program is, again, embedded into our health plans. One is we have about a thousand genetic medications um, that are absolutely free for our members. So most, you know. 85% of the, the medications that generally people need are, are free on our program, and those can be mailed to people's home at no cost. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we, we have seen this. Take, take an example of ZPAC. You can go to Rx that ZPAC now, mm -hmm. and you'll see the cost of that ZPAC will vary from one pharmacy to another pharmacy by, by several dollars. Right. Right. And for some drugs, the, the difference is huge. You know, uh, people use uh, the Sildenafil Viagra example a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, here at um, Costco, we can get it for 10 bucks, 30 day supply, whereas Walgreens, it's $660. Yeah, it's crazy. Same, same genetic, you know, Sildenafil, right? So when you as a, as a consumer, of the traditional health plan, all you see is that $15 copay, you really don't care whether you go to Costco or you go to Walgreens, basically, right? You, you're just going to go to whatever is around the corner, but the health plan now has to pay a whole lot of, you know, variable cost for those drug claims. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we all know that these genetic drugs are dirty. They, they cause, you know, cents on the dollar to basically make right so what we do is we partner with a, a a pharmacy company at the back end we pay them per member to have access to that their formula and any member we enroll with that pharmacy partner they have access to our genetic uh you know formulary for free whether you are on one medication or you are on nine medications hmm. you get them all for free right so that way we eliminate all those sort of variable behaviors, people going this pharmacy, that pharmacy, and we not knowing until after the fact, you know, when a claim hits, you know, what, what, what is the cost of the drug, right? It's too late by then. Right. So that's the genetic component. But the second component, which is even more, I feel like, um, impactful, 
is um, sourcing uh, high cost drugs um, overseas. A um, lot of, uh, so our plans, you know, fully cover biologics, biosimilars, you know, um, even GLP-1s for diabetics, all that stuff is, is covered, right? Nothing really is excluded that way. But again, where you get those drugs can be a huge difference cost-wise. Mm -hmm. um, I, I shared the SkyRizzy example. Yeah, uh, that's where I was going next. So SkyRizzy, you know, again, this was a, a about a 80 employee company, blue collar company here east side of Houston. And we are in the in the phase of you know putting a proposal for them and what we can do for them, right? And we are looking at their prior years drug claims. And there is uh, one member who is on Sky Rizzi, and they are on the United Healthcare plan. Mm -hmm. And United Healthcare is paying $22,000 per injection for that Sky Rizzi, right? Mm -hmm. It's a quarterly injection. So we have uh, pharmacy partners that source it internationally for about $6,800 per, per uh, shot. Again, we move this group 80 to a self-funded plan. This is our own uh, third party administrator. Now the claim is not going through United, the claim is going through us. Mm -hmm. And we buy it for 7000 instead of 22000 $15,000 saved just on that one injection, basically times four a year, $60,000 a year saved. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Go back to the, you know, the claims fund that we were talking about that the employer controls huge impact to their claims fund, basically, right? And in an 80 employee company, you're not going to have a, you know, probably 600,000 of claims fund and 60,000 goes a long way to protect that. Sure. That's yeah. awesome. Do you have any technology or, or patents that you're using to run this? None, none so far. Just um, a lot of brilliant stuff and a, a good team, huh? So, you know, we, we do have a lot of components, and um, I do see with time us owning um, some of those components as we do it, both on the tech side and on the service side. So obviously I know you personally, but we talked about you and your background. Is it a one man show or do you got other members of the team that need discussing? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's never a one man show, right? Um, again, um, my you know, nurse practitioner partner who's been with me since day one, you know, from our garage days to today, um, he's been hugely helpful um, in just being there. Um, and, and, you know, I can ask him anything and he, he's, he's there to help. Um, the second uh, big addition was, um, this is um, ex-military, um, somebody who had uh, helped design a CRM, a, a, um, mm -hmm. a customer relationship manager mm -hmm. uh, software. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so he had helped design it, you know, get it off the ground and, and commercialize it. And uh, I met him and, and I really was looking for somebody who can automate a lot of the business processes for us. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we were, again, a small mom and pop shop. We wanted to figure out how we automate you know, how we market ourselves, how people interact with our website, how do we capture leads, how do we nurture leads, how do we get people to sign up online, uh, fill, you know, take them from that whole process to pairing them with the doctor, 
get their health intake, get their uh, secure app downloaded and pair them with the doctor and you know they can complete a visit. So all that had to be automated because it was done manually. Um, so he came into our company and um, he's our partner now as well. Um, he's been with us for almost seven years, but he is our chief operating officer and has helped really um, automate a lot of our business processes and integrate various technologies that we, we use to, to deliver the services we deliver. And then lastly, I want to give a shout out to um, Dr. Vo, uh, who is our chief medical officer. Um, and uh, she was the second physician I hired, uh, basically, and um, straight out of residency. She was very passionate about direct primary care. She didn't want to do the traditional model. And she came up to me and said, hey, you know, I want to work with you. I, I love the model. I don't see myself working in the old model. Can we? team up and and i was like you know what let's do it so so she's been phenomenal and, and again um, on the recruitment side training side maintaining a solid culture um and i guess i can't forget my uh, own wife my doctor uh, uh you know lee um who is a physician as well and and I, it couldn't have happened uh, without her support you know she I was the it. one yeah i love it yeah, she was. Uh, she's been the one funding this while I figured out how to do it. You know, for <laughs> the first five years, I, I had zero, zero of course. You know, paycheck basically. Of course. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to segue over to remote patient monitoring, where I think there's there's tremendous value there. You know, Medicare pays for it. I do think that there's there's potential that that that's being overdone a bit. Uh, I think there's some people that are doing it very well. Um, you know, since you're not really treating a Medicare population, is there a way that you integrate remote patient monitoring into your business? And, and how does that work? You know, great question. Um, you know, a lot of I feel like the behavior and the solutions that are developed in the traditional world are driven around the reimbursement model, right? And now there is some reimbursement Medicare is doing for remote patient monitoring. You know, a lot of people are going to be remote patiently monitored, whether that leads to any meaningful impact down the road or not. I think it is to be seen. Um, but in our world, I think, Jeff, this is a lot more simpler, right? Like now my goal is to keep people healthy, right? I want to develop a way where I can get your watches data, your sleep monitors data, you know, your exercise data. Um, all be fed into our EMRs and it all can be tied and integrated. We can definitely bring AI into it to make us all more intelligent. And the idea then becomes to recognize patterns to you know, predict illnesses early and, and be able to actively intervene proactively, right? And, and I think there is a huge scope um, in changing the very definition of what primary care is within our subscription model without having to figure out how do I bill on top of this basically, right? So I don't need to do any billing. I don't need to have any codes. I just need to figure out how to do primary care really well. Mm -hmm. And I think remote patient monitoring and, and you know leveraging the technology that is available to us, leveraging AI to help doctors do their job better that's how we do primary care better. Yeah, I love, it. I love that. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask you this, and 
who's your who's your customer? Is it is it the patient? Is it uh, is it the employer? Is it the is it the physicians in your practices? Who is your customer? And then let's talk a little bit about money, okay? And uh, total yeah. adjustable market that kind of talk. So you know uh, there are three three main customers that we have. Obviously, it starts with the patient. You know, you got to provide a service that patients love. You know, receiving. Right? I think that that is the the, the first thing. The second customer is our doctors, right? Because if we are not solving this for our physicians, again, it, it doesn't work, right? It, we have to solve it on both both the sides. Mm-hmm. And I say this pretty often, like we will look at some some new you know technology or some some new product in our office that hey should we should we incorporate this or not? And, and generally, it has to pass through the lens of. Does it help our doctors keep our patients healthier? Mm-hmm. And are we, you know, providing more value to our patients and, and, and they are going to appreciate it, right? Mm-hmm. If it passes through those two lenses, yes, we will do it. Otherwise, we won't, right? We are very mindful of not bringing layers that make our physicians' lives harder. So, so physicians are very much a customer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the standpoint of how you structure um, everything um, mm-hmm. service-wise, but also work environment-wise, like creating a work environment and a culture where they really come and enjoy, you know, practicing at the top of their license, basically, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the third customer is our, is our employers. I, I truly believe employers have the ability to fix this healthcare mess. I think if they start um, and when I say employers, by the way, I mean our physician employers as well, right? Um, in fact, those guys probably the, the top most uh, than any other employers. Um, and what do I mean by that is that our physicians should be buying our own health insurance plan, right? Um, so those are the three customers we see, patients, our, our, our healthcare providers, and then eventually the people who pay for the healthcare, which in our world is employers, not Medicare or Medicaid, basically. D2, as, as far as trying to grow a, a national footprint, how do you see that that happening? Do you see potentially partnering with other DPC uh, groups? Do you see more of an acquisition model? I mean, all of that requires capital, particularly the acquisition side of it. And, and, and as I'm saying that, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm not real happy with, private, with what private equity has done to our healthcare system. You know, <clears throat> are you going to stay strong? And if, if one of these entities comes along and, and throws a big check out there, are you going to manage to keep physician run, physician owned? Um, you know, I, I have to. Uh, I have to. There is no other way. Um, that was the vision we started with, that it has to be physician led. Um, it doesn't have to be fully physician owned, but it has to be fully physician controlled. Um, so we're going to keep it that way. And, and, you know, if we don't keep it that way, then we again become the, the, the beast that we're trying to slay basically. Mm. Um, right. Um, and I'd like to think that the, the more we can organize as far as a physician community, you know, PE can become physician equity, not private equity. Oh, I love that, Jeff. <laughs> that's when we've arrived. Yes. Man, that is the best. No that's, doubt about it. That's the best. 
you're going to find people that really want to fly this flag yeah. and, uh, and jump on board because I said it in something I wrote a few days ago, but you know, I think these companies and entities that think that they're too big to fail, there are cracks in, yeah. you know, they might be small cracks in their foundation, but, um, you know, people like you, you're, you're building solutions in those cracks mm-hmm. and a lot like the power of water, you know, when that can start to flow through the, through there and widen those cracks, that's when, um, that's when things really start to change. You know, it's uh, it has happened in the history also, right? Like the change starts happening by us fixing the components they actually discard, right? Like most of these hospitals, large insurers, Primary care has become kind of like a discarded thing or, or basically just something to, you know, use to bring in people into their system, basically, right? Like to catch the people and push them upstream. And I think that's kind of where if, if we start fixing that while they sleep, <laughs> we're gonna, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, we're going to be far ahead before they wake up. And, and more to both of your comments, but I'm reminded of the story of David and Goliath. And remembering um, that there are way more of us than them. <laughs> yes. And maybe we're the Davids, but there are way more of us. Yep. And um, we're, we're, we're learning to finally collaborate where physicians have been divided for so long. Uh, we're learning to cooperate, collaborate, and understand that we can take medicine back and put it in the hands of those that it belongs in. Yep. I simply can't turn on a faucet and make more of us at the drop of a hat. You know, it takes, you know, 10, 15 years if you add up all of the schooling to make a doctor. And um, it's just so important that we that we start to control this and do what's right for the patients. That's right. You know, I I I was I used to say or I still say that, that there is no way I'm going to sit and accept that my kids are going to grow up in this system. They, right. they won't. They're, we're going to leave a better system for them. And, and it's upon us to do that. Right. Nobody else is going to do it. I've, I've resolved myself to the fact that maybe, you know, for me and Jeff Cole, you know, we're, we're probably stuck with the way it is, but we can at least start to change for the next generation. 100%. And we, we've interviewed so many people where we understand that the, the artificial intelligence, the technology, just the collect collective intelligence of physicians are we're going to change this and I'm, I'm i'm refreshed we started this out of a place of frustration jeff cole and i did because of the like a lot of us the state of healthcare is i mean it's broken it is absolutely broken well gitu i want to thank you for being on here you have got if i can summarize you can tell me if i get this wrong a direct primary care model much more than a direct primary care model but an actual true model that moves what we call healthcare today into true healthcare model from a sick care model. It's physician led, reducing costs to employers and patients, increasing access to care, increasing money for the providers, the physicians and the nurse practitioners that work for you or, and or their personal time. And it eliminates so much of the third party costs that we see today that's driving up the cost of healthcare. Is that accurate? It's beautifully said. Should well, thank you. I'm glad it's being recorded. Yeah, me too, Gee too. Thank you so much for joining us on the Merge Medical Podcast. This is uh, Dr. Jeff Brown, my co-host, Dr. Jeff Cole. 
with uh, Gitu Goyle. Thanks so much, everybody. We're Appreciate out. it.